This podcast is produced by Whisper and Mutter. Hi, how are you? It's Imani. I need your help. I don't know a lot about you, my listeners, aside from basic analytics, like the device you listen to this podcast on or how many downloads each episode gets. I want to understand you as a human. I am a UX researcher after all. (laughs) So can you please take an anonymous listener survey at yizzyresearch.com? It'll be really helpful for me. Thank you. Now on to the show. You're listening to the Yizzy Research Podcast, the podcast for people who research people. You are listening to the voice of your host, Imani, UX researcher at and founder of the UX research company, Yizzy Research. I help organizations understand their users, and I coach aspiring and practicing UX researchers in their career journeys. Shipra is a designer dedicated to transforming the way we work together as a global community. She spoke with me about voice of the customer, also known as VOC. In the first part of our conversation, Shipper discusses the two different types of VOC programs, the purpose of a VOC program, her minimum viable product of her VOC program at Upwork as a UX team of one, how she evangelized and socialized her VOC program at Upwork, which three departments can own VOC programs, and failures she encountered while setting up a VOC. So in terms of uh, UX research, you worked at Elon Odesk slash Upwork for about nine years. And while you were at Upwork, you established the UX research program. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, when I started at Upwork, I was one of two designers. So I was pretty early. The user experience team was really small. And as we grew we realized we needed a research function, um, not just designers doing research on the side. So at about the time when we were 10 designers, I pivoted to build out the research function. And uh, when, uh, you know, it was just me in the beginning, uh, by the end, there were 10 of us and we delivered the programmatic research needs of the organization. Uh, We built up a VOC program that we'll talk about today and also established sort of the design thinking uh, process as part of our product development sort of uh, process as well, which was really, really great. So you started there as a designer and then while you were there designing, the company noticed that, hey, we kind of need a researcher. And so you went ahead and you built out that UX research program. And as part of that, you built up the VOC program at Upwork as well. So the idea of VOC, voice of the customer, is not something that everyone is familiar with, especially in terms of UX research. So can you start by telling us what is a VOC program? Yeah, and in my experience, there are two different types of VOC programs. So I'll start with the most common one. I think the purpose of any VOC program is to have a pulse on what customers are saying about your product or your company. So it's uh, a way to constantly be listening to customer feedback and not just listen, but to synthesize it and impact product roadmap. So influence what you're building or changing based on customer feedback. Um, In some companies, this is a qualitative casual process. In others, it's a very quantitative process where you're measuring customer satisfaction um, in various ways using NPS or CSAT metrics. So there, there, there's a range of formality, but essentially it's 
using customer feedback, incoming customer feedback to influence product direction. And you mentioned that you started this while at Upwork, which was formerly called Elon Odesk. So what or who, like, was there a stakeholder who influenced you to set up this VOC program at Upwork? That's an interesting question because I realized as I was reflecting on this, that I was already doing some version of a VOC even in my first year back at Upwork when it was called something else. But I, my MVP of this was that I had a list of JIRA issues, uh, which were kind of issues that I'd been hearing from customers as I read customer support tickets or in my usability testing or even customer interviews, even back when I was a designer, I just kept hearing some of the same issues over and over again. And I created for myself a list, a Jira list, a Jira epic that was my backlog of usability issues. And when something became really kind of meaningful, then I would go around and get the product manager to prioritize that issue onto their roadmap. So I was doing, this was a very kind of hacky one-man show way of doing uh, the VOC, but I had always had it. it. It was always there. And then the event that triggered us formalizing this process was um, that two companies merged. Um, they were two companies of similar size, and we also merged um, the products in some ways. And that merger of uh, two pieces of software um, it was a problematic and we had product quality issues. And now we had this executive team that was very in tune with product quality and they wanted to prioritize us fixing um, the product quality or improving the product quality. And so that was a moment for me to be able to seize on to this executive need to improve the product and formalize the VOC process as a way to measure uh, customer satisfaction and uh, and by sort of um, kind of from customer satisfaction derive kind of product quality versus service customer support quality both of those things impact NPS um, so, so it was just this moment when everybody wanted to improve the product quality and I could swoop in and say this is the process we should use uh, so that was the trigger that sounds like it worked out very well for you in terms of timing. And I appreciate the fact that you mentioned that even before you were able to formalize the VOC program at Upwork, you were kind of already doing it. And I think that happens a lot with different uh, UX researchers at different companies. We may be already doing some form of VOC and may not even know it. <laughs> so I think that's interesting as well. So once you actually got the VOC program started at Upwork, how did you evangelize and socialize the program internally? The first thing was to make sure I wasn't doing it alone. So the, we established a cross-functional team um, to be sort of the owners of the voice of the customer. This cross-functional team would be our internal experts at the company at what the customers were feeling. We would have a pulse on what they were saying about our company, our products, our services. And so establishing this cross-functional team required sort of going to every department that had sort of a leaf node connection with customers, uh, customer support, sales, um, 
you know, social media. So there were like a lot of different departments that we went to and kind of pulled together everyone, pulled together one representative from each of these departments. Uh, and even within doing that process now, all of the leadership in all across all of these departments knew that now finally customer customer input would be heard and would have sort of this powerful group synthesizing it and advocating for changes. So nobody was resistant to it. Uh, I think we it just needed sort of resources and a formalized process. It, once we built up um, this team, uh, after that, it was really a matter of having impact. And impact, we measured impact by how much change we could affect on the product roadmap. Uh, and, and we can get into like some other ways to measure impact. But for us, we were like, did we, um, did this issue that our customers are talking about that we advocated for fixing, did that get fixed? And once we had a few success stories, we uh, brought them to the company all hands. We brought them to different department meetings and showed how listening to customers could impact our business metrics if we fix some of these issues. So we were just looking for these one or two success stories um, where fixing an issue could show a meaningful impact to our metrics and then just took those stories around. It, but honestly though, everyone was on board with us forming this program and like kind of the, the fact that customers should be heard, nobody was resistant to it. I think the hardest part is making sure that these issues then get prioritized on the product roadmap. Uh, so yeah, that was, I want to say the hardest part. And when you created the VOC program at Upwork, that was your first time creating a formal VOC program, right? It really was. And um, honestly, I had always assumed that someone in marketing or someone in customer support would own VOC programs. Uh, I've seen sort of since then a trend towards UX research um, starting to own this program. I, I think any of these three departments can own it. Uh, it's, I want to say back then, it wasn't really common for research to own these programs. So since you were, so since you were, your first time creating a VOC program was at Upwork, what were some failures you had while building the VOC practice? Oh, so many. <laughs> Honestly, the key to our success was we did have someone from marketing and someone from customer support, each of whom had done some version of this in previous companies. So we were really approaching it in like a thoughtful way. Um, but a couple of failures that come to mind. The first one was thinking about what impact do we want to have? And we, um, we kind of centered around NPS or Net Promoter Score as our metric. Uh, Net Promoter Score is a very lagging metric. It's extremely hard to move unless you kind of, you, you, the only thing that moves NPS is if you change pricing or your website crashes for a day, something like that. So like, it's just a very hard metric to move. Um, and it's very hard to show that this relatively small fix you made on a flow 
is you know moved MPS. So so latching on to the wrong metric, I think was was one of our failures, and, and we realized that we have to kind of make an assumption that if we solve <laughs> usability issues or these issues that we're hearing over and over from our customers, we just have to make an assumption that that's going to be beneficial to our business. Um, instead of waiting for NPS to change to prove that we should exist. So we're like, we should just assume this is good work. And then we changed our impact metric to how many JIRA issues get fixed by product development that um, it, that originated from customers. And so we're like, did we fix more than 50% of the issues or did we fix more than 80% of the high priority issues? And those were the types of metrics that we went to. Um, another kind of issue that we had, um, and kind of one, uh, because of which I think it's instrumental to have someone influential from the product team, um, in, in these, these, um, cross-functional teams was that we were hearing from customers and we were kind of bringing these problem statements to, to product teams. Uh, and, and and what I realized was that was too much work, you know, for a lot of product teams. So what I started doing was like sort of once we had a defined problem that we needed to fix, we would solution it or I would solution it with a product manager on the side in a one hour whiteboarding session. And then we could bring some sort of a solution um, that we could file those JIRA tickets and tag them appropriately. Like we had to take on a lot of the load of executing the fixes to these problems and not just bring a spreadsheet of problems or Google slides of problems and say, PM, it's your problem. It's your job to fix it. We had to do a lot more legwork to make sure that the solutions we wanted were getting into JIRA, were getting into roadmaps, were getting into uh, development sprints in order to be successful. If you're enjoying this podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and give it a five-star rating and a glowing review. Subscribe, follow. Many of you messaged me to tell me how much you like the podcast, but it's even better if you share it with your coworkers, mentees, and mentors on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and any other platform I forgot to mention. Spread the love. Don't keep me to yourself. Also, if you are an aspiring or even a current UX researcher who needs help with your resume, interviewing skills, professional branding, cover letter, LinkedIn profile, and portfolio, consider applying for the Yizzy Research Coaching Program. In the rest of our conversation, Shipra talks about her biggest success in setting up VOC, the software and tools you need if you're creating a VOC program, forming the right team to help bring your VOC to fruition, if VOC is a research method or something totally different, the most effective VOC deliverables, and the relationship between customer service, user experience, and VOC. Wow, so that was a lot. So it seems like the one of the biggest failures was not having the right uh, impact metric. And you said originally you started off by using NPS, but as I'm sure a lot of UX researchers know, NPS is a very um, big score. Like you said, it's hard to move, especially with UXRs. We work on such a granular level. It's hard to assess our impact in terms of NPS. So I, I like that you mentioned that. 
I do. So you mentioned earlier that you didn't really get too much pushback in terms of implementing VOC while you were at Upwork. So since you had a lot of stakeholder buy-in, what were some of the successes you had as a result of implementing VOC? Right. So there wasn't a lot of pushback to us forming a VOC team um, and leadership gave us the resources. Um, the pushback always was in road mapping or prioritizing the issues that we found and we had to find ways around that, which was, I think, our biggest success was that we focused not just on the, the process of listening and synthesizing, but our team, we held ourselves accountable to issues getting fixed. We said that is our job to make sure these issues get fixed. It's not the PM's job. It's not the engineer's job. So in terms of success, I think that's where we really were different from other organizations where this might be tried, where you have this amazing, uh, beautiful, rich set of user feedback um, and you might even synthesize it into actionable items, but they never get acted upon. And for us, we were just really focused on that last mile, that last mile of let's make sure these get fixed. Um, and that's how we we we're gonna score ourselves. And so some of the successes we had was building relationships with product managers where, you know, it didn't feel like we were you know, coming in and calling their baby ugly, but we wanted to partner with them and make it make them more successful by helping them make their parts of the product better. And we were able to establish those relationships and, and really move these bugs and issues into fixes and, and into production. Uh, and that's something that I'm proud of. I think that's that was our biggest success. So... You also mentioned previously that when you were just doing this on like a an ad hoc team of one uh, level, when you were building the VOC program, that you prioritize, you looked at JIRA tickets, right? So what, what systems or softwares need to be in place at a company to start a VOC program? So for example, you mentioned JIRA. What else do you think that people would need if they wanted to get started, whether it's in terms of um, other teams to work with or tools or software? I think you need really, if you're just starting out, honestly, the software doesn't matter. Uh, I would like, you know, just the most important thing is to build the right team. Um, honestly, before that, the most important thing is to know why you're doing it. What is triggering it? Uh, is anyone interested in what you're doing and why? So just knowing why you're even forming this group is important. And then forming the right team. So people who are in touch with customers, balanced with people who can influence product decisions, who if they really believe that this is what customers are saying are, are going to be able to go out of their way and make those changes in your software or your whatever product you're building. So I think it's it's really about having a clear goal and a team. You could start with just spreadsheets, you know, a Google spreadsheet, a shared Google spreadsheet, 
with a list of issues, coded issues is fine. Um, so you then go through, you decide what your inputs are. Um, and they might be customer support tickets and, uh, you know, Twitter, your tr company's Twitter feed, whatever your inputs are, maybe your usability study quotes. You go through them and you just kind of have to code them. It's like a giant sort of affinity mapping problem. And spreadsheets are fine um, to start out with. Uh, I mentioned Jira because that's how we used to project manage. Uh, a lot of software teams use Jira, but if you use Trello or Asana or whatever you use, that's fine. Use the tool that the engineering team uses to get your issues pushed to production. Um, the tools that I have seen coming up and the, the specialized tool that we did use for VOC eventually is called Idiomatic. And that is about finding a tool that can help you take all of these verbatims, um, with support tickets and social media posts and um, your transcripts from your user interviews, you need, you coding it manually is a lot of work. It's a lot of work, it's kind of impossible. So you end up sampling, right? You end up sampling, okay, I'm gonna code like 200 customer support tickets because I can't code 20,000. So Idiomatic was the software that we chose to do this coding for us. So Idiomatic could absorb all of these, all of this like text data and put out sort of some of the themes. Um, and they were easy to work with in that you could tell them um, the the you could tell them how you wanted things to be tagged, and then they they would be able to uh, they would be able to sort of take take your input and um, and and push that that across twenty thousand data points or whatever you give them. So that was a tool we used, but not until much later in our VOC uh, process. And as you were talking, I'm trying to think about VOC at a, a more general level, right? So would you say that VOC, is it a research method in and of itself, or is it something totally different? An interesting question. I think it's very aligned with how design researchers think and process and work. It's an extension of um, sometimes what we do. So a problem that is really common in the design research community uh, that's commonly discussed is uh, this problem where we have nuggets of insights across various studies and there's no way to join those nuggets. You know, five different studies showed us something similar about how people feel about five-star feedback rating. But there's, you know, there's not an easy way to, to link those nuggets together. Uh, because the studies could have been about five different topics. Uh, so I think the VOC is a very similar kind of process um, in that you are taking all this customer input and trying to synthesize it and figure out what is it that the customer meant when they were saying X and, and then synthesize it in a way that can be actionable by design or product. So it's similar in some ways. It is also different in some ways. Uh, so a lot of design research is uh, forward-looking. We're thinking about strategic 
initiatives, exploring new markets, exploring adjacencies. Um, we're trying to discover uh, new use cases or new tasks that we can support for users. And that's generally not what comes out of a VOC program. What comes out of a VOC programs is 80% of the time issues with your current product, uh, mental model issues with your current product, usability issues with your current product. And sometimes in, in my experience at Upwork, there were one or two sort of big strategic um, uh, product ideas that came out of VOC, but that, that's not the bulk of what you get from VOC. Whereas design research is really looking at strategic new ideas. Um, so yeah, similar and different in, in certain ways. When you get insights from VOC, what is like the best deliverable to use to share them? Do you do reports? Do you do customer journey maps? Like what's the best deliverable to share all these VOC insights? I might sound like a broken record, but to me, the most effective deliverable is a Jira ticket to a developer. Like that's what really matters at the end of the day. But we did have other deliverables. We had a monthly sort of Google slide deck um, and a monthly meeting with product leadership, product and engineering leadership, where we took them through sort of, here are some top trends, some top issues that we're hearing. And honestly, what we saw and what a lot of people see is like month over month, they're the same issues that are at the top of the list. And then that meeting starts to get really boring. So we worked really hard at keeping that meeting interesting. So even if there were the same issues coming up to the top every month, we wanted to highlight the fact that this is the same issue <laughs> that we talked about last month. But because our team took the initiative where we owned that issue, we weren't coming in and saying, hey, you fix that issue. We were coming in and saying, listen, here's an issue that we're finding. We really want to fix it. We spoke with the engineers. We spoke with the product managers. And for every issue, we wanted to have a decision moment in that meeting. So we were able to come and say, this is the same issue we've been talking about for three months. Right now, we are not fixing this issue because of this other high priority feature that's in development. And we could have a decision point of, do you guys think uh, we should pause the high priority feature to fix this bug? Or do you think this bug should is okay for now? I, and what we wanna, yeah, so we, we went into that meeting with like questions for this product leadership team. It wasn't just a report. It was a help us move these things forward or tell us, no, that's not important. Um, so that, uh, that was how we made that meeting interesting. Um, so that's one deliverable we had that, you know, anyone could go back and refer to that Google slide. It was very synthesized, just like five, six things. We weren't gonna talk about all hundred things that come up. Um, and then the second thing that we did from a deliverable standpoint was we had, um, every time there was a road mapping, sort of uh, road mapping initiative, which was at Upwork was twice a year, um, we would uh, we would then we would create a larger spreadsheet of themes and and topics and issues. So these weren't tactical bugs; 
these were larger themes, more perhaps strategic ideas or, or issues that needed kind of more thought than just like fix this bug. Um, so we would every every six months we would create that spreadsheet and then we would work with all the product leaders to to ensure that they knew for their area of the product for searching for instance let's say for search we would come we would go to them and have like a curated list of topics for them to think about and we were able to tell them listen people really want more filters especially these filters can you like think about like exploring and prioritizing that in your roadmap this this half and and so we we would have that for every product team very very customized kind of story for them about what customers want them to do. Uh, so those were the two deliverables we had. And it sounds like VLC is a healthy mixture of UX research and also quite a bit of customer service. So can you talk a little bit more about the role that customer service plays in VOC? So for example, did you work with a lot of customer service reps at Upwork when you were building the VOC program? What was that relationship like between VOC and customer service? My key partner in this program at Upwork was the leader of our customer support, customer experience group. Um, and he was a key partner, absolutely. And he is the person that now owns the VOC program. So yeah, he was definitely like, he was the key partner. And then when I moved on from the VOC program, uh, after we had established it, he was the person to take the helm. So like, it was always a key partnership. And then the customer support team kind of took over ownership of keeping this program running and impactful. So so there is, um, I, I think what customer service brings is they're, they're just like talking to, they're like the most knowledgeable about what customers are saying. They have sort of a pulse um, and especially customer support leadership. They have a pulse. They're talking to their teams every day. They have a pulse on what's important, what's not important. And they're able to uh, create the structures and identify people in their, uh, in their organization that, are really good product thinkers, right? So when you're a customer support rep, uh, honestly, your first kind of job is to make this particular customer whole, right? Which is not the same as thinking about what do we need to change systematically in the product to fix <laughs> fix it so that this problem doesn't exist in the first place. So the customer support leadership was really able to identify the key people in their organization that could see all these one-off customer interactions and be able to bubble up um, the big problems that needed to be fixed systematically. Uh, and they really are the best voice of the customer in most organizations. So it, it is, I wanna say evolving. And I think VOC can be led by marketing or customer support or product. Um, I think it's a triad. It doesn't matter who's the lead. I think all three of these departments really need to collaborate to make it successful. Let's say there's a UX researcher listening right now, and they're thinking about starting a VOC program at their company. What advice would you give them to determine how to get started? And also, if VOC is a right process for them to implement? Some form of customer listening 
I, I believe is always right for every organization. Um, the, the key question is whether the organization is interested in sort of tactical iterative product quality improvements, which is generally later in the stage of an organization, or they're interested in sort of making these big strategic bets um, and not as interested in the tactical product quality uh, iterative um, iterative things. And so I want to say if you're a UX researcher and you're trying to figure out, should I do some sort of a VOC thing? First, like have, have a point of view on whether, what kind of issues your product leadership is interested in. Um, and then once you have that understanding, it, it's, it doesn't have to start with calling it a VOC or making a big organizational kind of effort around it. It could just start, I want to say the way I started, just like read, spend a day reading customer support tickets or find someone on the customer support team that really wants to impact product, but feels like they don't have that partner. And if you can find a partner on the support team, or if you don't have that, just spend the time reading tickets. Um, you, you'll start to see some things bubble up uh, that you can start to create a list, just start to create a spreadsheet, start shopping them around, just start with one issue and a story around that issue that you want your product team to solve. So I wanna say just start with advocating for one thing that you're seeing popping up over and over again in customer support in your usability studies that doesn't seem to be getting prioritized and make the case for it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to take the listener survey on yesyresearch.com. Give this podcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow Yizzy Research on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll chat soon.